Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Maybe today I have people that are listening to this message that you have gone through some tremendous suffering in your life. Now there's suffering that can come on from basically two general areas. One could be some type of physical suffering. So I could even ask the question to you, how many of you have ever had uh, stitches? Maybe a lot of stitches. Maybe some of you, uh, how many of you have ever gone through surgery? And I think of all of you wonderful mothers that have endured what you've had to go through in order to bring a child into the world and maybe many children into the world. And so you've gone through different sufferings. And then we could raise it up a notch. Some of you have gone through suffering maybe during war and you've lost parts of your body or you are horribly disfigured because of that. And so you've gone through suffering. But in most cases, our bodies will heal. But often it's those inner wounds that we have that take the longest to heal and sometimes they're never healed. We also find that sometimes those inner wounds that we have can be connected to the outer wounds because the things that have happened to us outwardly, those are the things maybe we couldn't control. I think of those men and women who choose to put themselves in harm's way knowing that they could be wounded, whether it's in law enforcement or military, and sure enough, they go through something and they still have to deal with that inner feeling that they didn't realize that this would be so permanent for the rest of their life. But then I think of the ones who are married to those people or family members who had nothing done to them physically, but they were so much in love with their family member and now know that their family member had something done to them. And now they have that inner wound of of anger because of it's happening to them. Recently, I've been reading the biography again of Hudson Taylor. You've heard me say that, but I'm in the last part of the seventh volume of of a very deep substantive book on his life. And now we're going over during the Boxer Revolution that in three weeks period of time, 159 men, women, boys and girls of the China Inland Mission were missionaries and that were brutally murdered in front of other Chinese Christians. And then those Chinese Christians died. And it says to those that have witnessed that, how that these men, women, boys and girls, when they were in that state of being drugged through the crowds before they were beheaded and some were even chopped up because they knew, the boxers knew, that they believed that there would be a resurrection, so they thought if they would destroy the body such like that, that they could not be resurrected. And of course, we know that's not true. And yet, they were preaching the gospel. And afterwards, we know that it was their blood that really brought the church to a point of tremendous growth because of their stand on the gospel. And so yet, I would still think about the letters that finally trickled home and the news that got back to London from which most of these missionaries had come how family members remembered watching their doe-eyed children go off to China to be missionaries and thought about what a grand thing they were doing, only to find that they would never see their children alive again. And some of them, they never found their bodies knowing that they were horribly brutalized. And I'm thinking about the inner wounds of question about how many of them would remain strong through that. A few years ago, I was in my office here and I received a phone call in the afternoon from a church member in our church on the mainland in up uh, northern Georgia. Her name was Anna, and she called me, and she was on the phone, and she says, I want you to know that uh, Jim, my husband, is, is no longer alive. Well, they're very elderly, so I kind of assumed something might have happened and uh, was going through uh, the time of allowing her to tell me her story. 
And she told me because of such a godly couple that he went out in the morning, began working, putzing around in the yard as they would do. At lunch, he would come in because she would have a nice lunch and then they would have their quiet time, their devotions together with one another. And she's explaining that, that they had such a rich time in God's word. He went out again and she went to go lie down, but she was awakened by a strange sound. And so she went outside and she found that her husband had died right on the front yard. And of course, I'm thinking he probably had a heart attack and maybe crashed into something on the way down. And then she told me that strange sound was a gunshot, that a neighbor across the street, for whatever reason, out of his mind was shooting at cars and saw her husband go out and on the front porch took his gun and shot it across the street just as a shot and killed her husband, a very dedicated Christian leader like some of the men that are here that are elderly with wonderful families. And as I began to talk with her and we unpacked that event and what's happened since then, I can only tell you that the inner wounds that she had, they lasted only a short time or she had them not at all. But I can tell you what helped her get through that. Now, I'm not with any type of ominous projection on any of you that you're going to go through such severe tragedy and loss. But I believe that it's quite possible that every one of us, because of pastoring so long and dealing with people, that you are literally 18 inches away from someone with your arm that has an inner wound right now that has been caused by certain things. Now, if I took you through the purity of Scripture, Peter is going to speak to us on how to overcome those inner wounds. But it was really spoken to a group of people who were Christians with the New Testament church, and because of their stand for the gospel, they were horribly persecuted and scattered. So he was writing to a scattered group of people. And he's talking about those inner wounds that they were having because of that persecution. And I can imagine what there would be, probably family members wanting to know, why don't you just denounce your faith so you could not have to go through all of this stuff. And yet when I bring this to you today, some of you, you'll think, I have not really been persecuted. Oh, maybe someone uh, turned down a track or maybe giggled behind my back when he knew I was a Christian. And that's the extent of it. But your inner wounds could be something that happened when you were younger. Some of you have a horrible memory of when you were in junior high or elementary school and how those kids cruelly spoke to you or about you. And maybe some of you have gone through maybe unfaithfulness in a marriage where you said at the vows at your wedding day, forsaking all others for that person alone. And that person said that back to you, but didn't mean them and ran off. And maybe some of you have not only gone through that unfaithfulness, but abandonment where a mom or a dad literally abandoned you. And so you are having to live the rest of your life with your family and your kids not having a grandfather or grandmother because they've abandoned you when you were young or rejection. Some of you could have happened, whether it's on the ball field or on your job, and heaven forbid, it could have even happened in a church somewhere. And so wherever it might be, you could be carrying those same inner wounds because those inner wounds can come at any time and in any place and from every source. And so with that in mind, I'm not here today to compare scars because it doesn't really matter what came against you that caused you to have that inner wound because everybody will have them and the Lord permitted that to come into your life and we can either get bitter or get better, and I'm going to believe that you're in a place in your life right now that maybe you are on the healing end of this, or you're come to a point to say you want to get on the better end of this and get over the bitter end of it. And maybe some of you are so far along right now that you've gone through that, you've dealt with it, you've grieved it, you've leaved it, so to speak, and so now that's behind you. Then today what I'd like to do, if I could, is to come alongside you as your shepherd and to give you the tools that you can help other people so that they too can say, even if I'm raised up on a cross, near my God to thee, you could live it and share it and help that next generation.
And so today, let's unpack this portion of Scripture from 1 Peter, where Peter, who knows a lot about suffering, who himself, when he died, it is told, died upside down, crucified. And yet he would still keep his eyes on the Lord. So let's look at them right now. How to be healed from the inner wounds of life that you might be experiencing right now. Let's just look at four of them from this passage. First of all, let go of the offender and the offense. Let go of the offender and the offense. Now, some of you might be saying, I've tried to do that, but I can't. I'm going to show you a very biblical way to do that. Others of you right now are saying, let go of the offender and the offense. All I'm giving you now, biblically, is the permission to do that. I'm telling you, go ahead and do it. It is okay. You don't have to hold on to that. You can let it go. Look, if you will, at verse 1 of chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. It says this. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you are willing to suffer for Christ, you've decided to stop sinning. So I'm looking over here at the word physical pain. So you have the physical part of Christ. Then it says, let the same attitude be inside of you. So with the physical also comes an attitude kind of a thing. So I looked over the life of Christ, as many of you have, and I could look at three sources of pain in his life just at the very end of his life. The first one would be the physical pain that he suffered. Now, if you will, I think I could count seven different sources of pain into his body. I believe that he had, you know, the spike that was in his wrist, one, his other wrist, two, maybe one foot, three, the other foot or ankle, four. It would be that crown of thorns that was jammed with those thorns right into his, his brow. And so the instant pain has exploded on his head. And then I could think about what went on, what was happening with his back as it was being horribly whipped. Some people say that when they thrust the, side, the sword into his side, I think he was dead by then. But nonetheless, that happened. And that's not even to say the time that he was literally slapped and the Bible says in the King James he was buffeted so he probably was beaten and then he had spit all over him. So let's just talk about the physical pain that he had at that moment as God. The second would be the emotional pain that he had because all of this was going on him because he was at that moment experiencing the abandonment of the very men that he was building his life into, those that have either fed or clothed, or healed, or even some that he brought back to life again, like Lazarus, and he was abandoned by all of them, and so there was that moment of abandonment, even to the point of saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He would experience that. And of course, then you have the social stigma that went on, all the people that were there, the Jews, the Gentiles, his own people, so literally, while he was around a mob, he died all alone. So you put all those three together, and I believe he permitted all of that, so that he would go through that to show you he went through that, and yet he could rise above it, and there would be all that inner healing, we might say, that we can have from him. So we could look to him. Then what was his attitude? And here's the simple antidote when it says, let go of the offender and of the offense. If I could wrap it up in a word that almost is so simple that it'll go right over our heads, but we need to grab it as it goes by. We need to put it into our hearts, put it into our minds, and then allow it to change us with that offender and the offense. And here it is. It's one word. It's the word forgiveness. Look at the verse I put there for you in Luke 23 when he was up on the cross, physically, socially, emotionally. He says this, Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they are doing. Now, reality is they knew what they were doing. They were inflicting pain on the Lord. They knew what they were doing. They were running from the scene. They knew what they were doing, abandoning the Lord. They knew that. But they really, really, really didn't know what was going on in the bigger picture. So for a moment, if you will, those of you that are still suffering with some inner pain right now, 
I know, and you know, realistically, those people that were doing this or not doing whatever they did that brought you the pain, they kind of knew what they were doing, I know. But they really, really didn't know the depth of the pain that you're carrying today. And in a few moments, you're going to see that that pain actually has not only affected you, but it has affected others because that pain that is there and has not been healed has now also infected you and probably could be infecting other people too. So they really don't know. And if the truth be told, we would understand that whatever we've gone through is really because of Satan in our life and what he has allowed those people to do. And then you go further than that. It was God was doing this. Now listen, this is the hardest to hear of everything I'm going to say today. Really, our bitterness is not so much against the person of the persons. Those of you that know Christ probably know enough that the Lord is more powerful than even Satan. And he could have stopped it, prevented it, but he didn't. And so your real anger deep within you is against God himself. And yet Peter is saying here, so then since Christ also suffered pain, arm yourself with his attitude, which would be the one of forgiveness. So here's a question, a good question, because some of you might be saying, okay, I, I need to forgive them. I need to release them. But why should I do that? Well, let me give you three reasons why you should for those people who hurt you. Number one, because you have been forgiven by God. I know that you know that I'm sure you have done enough stuff, knowingly or unknowingly, that have hurt other people and obviously has grieved the Lord because if it's in disobedience to the Lord, then you know that he grieved and the Lord still looked down at you and me and he says, you know what, I'm going to give you my complete forgiveness. I will forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future. I'll forgive you of your attitudes. I'll forgive you of the sins you knew you were doing, the ones you didn't know you were doing. I will grant you a free gift of grace, of forgiveness. I'm so glad that I have that. Are you glad you have that free forgiveness? And so if I received it from the Lord, can I now, watch this, not look into my heart to find my forgiveness for that person, but to look at the same forgiveness that was given to me by the Lord, through the Lord, in the Lord, with the Lord, that's in me now, and use His forgiveness because He can forgive me, He can forgive them. Since He can forgive them, I can forgive them because it's His forgiveness working through me. Number two, you're going to need forgiveness in the future. I promise you that the times that you and I have asked the Lord for forgiveness or confessed our sin, we received it, He's given that to us. But as we live, because we're wrapped in our flesh, that it could happen today, we're going to need forgiveness. And just as much as we need forgiveness from the Lord in the future, we should then grant them forgiveness. John Wesley had a man come up to him and say to him, he said, I could never forgive that man. And John Wesley wisely responded by saying, then I hope you never sin. And what he was really saying by that is because we sin, we're going to need it. But I'd like to give you number three, because this one is the most potent, I think, for us. And here it is. You're never going to stop hurting until you learn to forgive someone else. Now, you need to write that down. I know you're hurting. Now, some of you probably have stuffed that hurt so deeply within you that you don't even know that it's there, but it's still there. It's like the, the dad who took his son to the swimming pool. And he gave his son a dozen ping pong balls. And he wanted to have fun with his son, so he poured a dozen ping pong balls right in front of his son in the shallow end. And he told his son, he said, Son, I want you to take those 12 ping pong balls, and I want you to hold them all underwater at the same time. Now that would have been a sight to see, as this boy is trying to hold them underwater. As soon as he got some underwater, it would pop out and another one would pop up. And he'd have to grab it and put that down. Just see all that he was doing. Well, I wonder how many of us have been hurt by different things. We've learned to kind of stuff it. I like to refer to it sometimes as sin management. We kind of manage those angers and bitternesses and all that we have, but we really don't deal with it biblically. And so the key is, 
that we're never going to stop hurting until we've learned to forgive. There's a verse in Hebrews that says this, looking carefully, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. You know, you might be thinking, well, that person hurt me. I'm going to stuff it inside of me. It will affect the people that are around you. I'm thinking about those that some of you, you've been hurt by someone else and got a raw deal from them. How many hours, here's a good question, how many hours of lost sleep have you experienced? All night long, figuring out how you would like to get back at them and wish you could say to them and wish that happened to them. And then all of a sudden you realize, ooh, that's dirty thinking. I need to confess that to the Lord and get my attitude right and you work on it, but you haven't really done it totally right. And it comes back up again because you see the person at work the next day. You see him in church. You got to go to the same ball field where your kids play ball and you meet him there. And so what happens is because you haven't really released them, you're taking that person and that event and that hurt and you keep on picking at it until we learn to totally forgive them. So you need to let go of the offender, give them back to the Lord, let the Lord deal with them, not you. Give them over to the Lord. Your response is, is to see him as an enemy. <gasps> see him as an enemy? Because mm-hmm. sometimes if you do that, then you'll be reminded of Matthew 5.44 that says, what do you do with your enemies? You bless them. You pray for them. You do good to them. You love them. Look up the verse, Matthew 5.44. And then you have to look at the offense. And you can say, Lord, that was an offense that you did permit. But whatever it is, whatever has happened, whatever I lost, whatever I didn't get, however I experienced this, I want you to know that you are now choosing to use that not as a weapon to destroy me, but as a scalpel to make me stronger and better and maybe to heal me. And so it becomes something that happens in our life. So number one, let go of the offender and the offense. Why? You'll never stop hurting until you grieve it and leave it then. Number two, live focused on the Lord's will. Live focused on the Lord's will. In other words, when you have the attitude of Christ, as it said in verse one, verse two then says, and you won't spend the rest of your life chasing after evil desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of the Lord. Now, basically what this is saying is you're going to need to repent Now, let me explain. Some of you say, what do you mean me repent? They're the dirty birds that did this to me. Why should I have to repent? Well, first of all, the word repent really means you need to change your mind. You need to refocus. And so that focus now needs to be, instead of focusing on the offender and the offense and all that cost you, you've got to change your mind about that and now refocus on the Lord. Because in order for you to let go of this, you have to grab a hold of Him to do that. And so again, biblically, I want to give you permission. It is okay to let it go. Now, I know that in a lot of counseling, they want you to stay in support groups for years. They want to get you through counseling for years. And maybe I'm too simplistic, but something I think you need to consider is this. You do need to build a bridge and get over it. I don't know why people don't come for me, to me for counseling, but basically it's that, you know. Get over it. Now, I know you have to deal with it properly. But at the same time, you want to move away from it. So it does require a shift. So how do you do it? Maybe some words will help you. If you're a wordsmith, listen to me. You do need to mourn. You did suffer a loss. A grieving does take time, sometimes up to two years over what it was. You you lost money on a bad deal that someone did to you. You lost a relationship because you were cheated on, whatever it might be. There's going to be that mourning. But if you don't get over that mourning, you will then stay in a state of moaning. If you don't grieve over this and then let it go, you will stay in a state of groaning through this whole thing. Now, what's the two difference between mourning and grieving? How do we do that? What's the difference between those? 
When you mourn something, you're sad that it happened to you. You emotionally attach the proper response to it. That is okay. But when you moan over this thing, then you fixate upon this thing. And now you want to use that to feed something inside of you to, quote, keep you moving, but in the wrong direction. And so this is the time that you have to let that go through refocusing. Now the big question is, is I'm stuck here, Pastor. I know that I need to move from the moaning, mourning, and now do the rejoicing. But how do I do that? All right, let me help you with that, staying in the context of God's Word. If I put my arm horizontally like this, usually when we're dealing with certain issues, we see them as one person against another person. Something happened, people are involved, and that's why you have those inner hurts, whatever's happened. If you stay like this, you're going to be leveled out. On the other hand, what I would like to suggest for you to do is now is the time to take the offender and the offense and refocus it upon God's will. Now watch my other arm, and I'm going to say you need to put it upright with the Lord. And if you'll notice what you have here is you have the cross. If you could write that or see that, then you're going to remember Jesus Christ went to the cross. He knew what those people were doing, and he knew who was behind those people, which would be Satan. But at the same time, there was a trust factor. Now go back to the worship folder you have in front of you with the notes, because I want to show you a verse I've taken from 2 Peter. What is so interesting is chapter, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2. Chapter 2 and chapter 4 go so well together. Look at verse 23, because this is what he did in the same context that's talking about how that he suffered. Here's what he did. Jesus did not retaliate when he was insulted. Now I want you to grab that and own that. Think about the times that you have been insulted. Maybe over a parking place, maybe something on the job, maybe something on the ball field. In some measure, you were insulted. Here it says he did not retaliate. Now, he didn't do it verbally against those people, and I'm sure he could have called down a thousand angels and wiped them out. And any one of us that have any creative juices in some chutzpah, we could look at those things too and find some way not to get mad, but to get what? Even, all right? But he didn't do that. Then it says, when he suffered... So he didn't deny that there was suffering going on. And I'm not here trying to encourage you to deny that you have inner hurts. You, were, you got a raw deal. Accept it. It happened to you. And I truly am so sorry for any of that pain. But it goes on to say here, it says, He did not threaten to get even. I like the way that translation puts it. So he didn't try to figure out a way to bring that other person down or to at least have that other person experience the same amount of pain that that person made you feel. So he did not threaten to get even. And here's what you want to see. It says, he left his case. You could say he left his cause in the hands of God. Would you circle that phrase, he left his case, and then underline the phrase, in the hands of God. Now I'm going to tell you that's what you have to own and you can easily do it as easy as pie because it's done in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's done because Jesus did it. You and I are partaker of His divine nature. So everything that's what Christ is in us, we can do this. So what did it say? He left His case, that raw deal, in the hands of God. Then go on, it says, who always judges fairly. It doesn't mean we have to judge the other person, condemn the other person, get even with the other person, and perhaps even um, punish the other person. But what we do is we say, Lord, this is our case. We're giving it to you, Lord. It is in your hands. Now you take it and you deal with that person. I'm walking away from it because you are, and another translation says, you are the righteous judge. It goes on to say in that passage, as you'll see, that when he did that with the righteous judge, there was a release that was there. So perhaps for some of you right now, what you're going to need to do, maybe one more time and hopefully now, 
the last time. Take that case, and for some of you that have lived a long time, you might have multiple cases. And will you do this? Will you give it to the Lord and leave it there, trusting Him as the righteous judge? So what you can do now is once again get a good night's sleep. So once again you have the fullness of God and the fullness of power in your life so that you can now move forward. If not, that situation is like a ball and chain and you are trapped in bondage. So let it go. I like this next verse. What an encouraging verse. Look at your worship folder again. Psalm 56, 8. It says this. Would you read it out loud with me? You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Now, if you want to, circle the word track. You kept track, collected, and recorded all my sorrows and all my tears. So what the psalmist is saying is, you know the raw deals that I have, Lord. You saw me weep. You saw my pain. But whatever I went through, you went through it with me. So you recorded it all. You're keeping track of all of this stuff. All my sorrows, all my tears, it is all with you. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.